Lord, you're worthy. Lord, you're worthy. God bless you this morning. You can be seated. Tell you what, why don't you let this choir know as they're on their way out how much you appreciate them today. What a sweet presence of the Lord is here this morning. Amen. Just a moment, I'm going to preach to us and share the word of God with us, but I want to do something today. It's on this Mother's Day today. What a special day that we get every year, and it's a shame it's only one time a year that we set aside to acknowledge and to recognize and to honor some amazing and wonderful women called moms that God has blessed all of our lives with. And your mom may be with you this morning here in service. Uh, she may be with you in heart because maybe she's across the miles somewhere or maybe your mother has gone on. But today is a day that we set aside to let moms know how much we love and appreciate them. The lessons they have taught us. My mom has taught me some lessons down through the years. I have anybody that say, yeah, my mom taught me some lessons, Pastor. <laughs> some lessons that she's taught us. The life that she has lived and the love that she has given. Listen, a lot of us in here today are byproducts of the love of our mother. And I, listen, I talked to my mom this morning and wished her happy Mother's Day. And of course, the mother of my children, my wonderful and beautiful wife, Kelly, that has blessed our lives and completed our family. I want all of our moms today, would you do me a favor if you're a mom today, would you stand please this morning if you're a mom? All the moms just stand up all over the building today. Look at that. All of the moms. Would you do me a favor and let these mothers know how much you appreciate them today? Hey, I didn't say you could sit down yet. Just keep standing for a minute. Come on, let's let these moms know we really appreciate them this morning. Would you do that? Well deserved. Now you, you may be seated. Oh, my wife, please, to come something that I wanted to do this morning. These aren't for me, by the way. But there is a lady in this church. And although she never had any biological children of her own, there is no doubt that she has spiritual children everywhere. Never had any babies of her own that could call her mama. But she has become somewhat of a mother to this church. Sister B. Ogle, I want you to come here, please. Stay standing because we're going to read the word in a minute. But every now and then I just get these last minute, I call them just kind of God ideas. And I was just thinking about all the moms and the mothers and the Holy Spirit just kind of quickened my heart and said, what about those that have don't have biological children but have spiritual children? And I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you age. Is that all right if I tell you age? 84 
years young. And though you may have never had anybody to specifically call you mom, we affectionately call you Aunt B around here. And what you don't know about this lady, I'm just going to brag a little bit. I know she's really, she, didn't, she had no idea this was coming. She's really uncomfortable, and I'm having a good time, though. <clears throat> she does so much for so many of us. And one of the things that she does that many of you don't know is this woman prays diligently for so many of us. And days that you don't realize it, hours you don't realize it, she cleans these church offices. Me and Pastor Tony, Pastor Jeremy, and Sarah cleans those offices, dusts that furniture. I mean, just when you walk in, cleans those bathrooms, scrubs those toilets. But more than anything else, she admittedly prays in those offices for your staff. And when I got in this morning, she left the sweetest note on my desk. And she didn't realize, she didn't have any idea. This just worked out well today. And said, Pastor, I had a wonderful time praying for you this week. I love you and I appreciate you. And Aunt B, I want you to know, if you haven't ever been called this, I'm making a formal declaration that you are the spiritual mother of this house. And we acknowledge that and we affirm that and we celebrate that. Bibles. Wipe your tears. Don't sit down if you don't mind standing for a moment. If you, if you need to sit down, that's perfectly fine. Would you go to 2 Samuel chapter 21 with me this morning, please? <clears throat> 2 Samuel 21. I thought it would be fitting on Mother's Day for me to start this brand new sermon series entitled Family Matters. Not the TV show Family Matters. I'm not going to put a picture of Steve Urkel up here, but just Family Matters. Matters of the family. And families are, are like, one person said families are like fudge. Mostly sweet, but a few nuts. Some of you just said amen real loud because you know it's true. And some families are like the little girl's family I read about some time back. She would not eat her dinner. And she was excused from the table to go sit by herself in the corner. The families there eating, they could hear that little girl, four or five years old, praying and saying, God, I thank you that you prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. <laughs> We've got some families. <laughs> But good, bad, or indifferent, I'm telling you, if we've ever needed the family to be strong, we need the family to be strong right now. Let me read you this Old Testament story. I'm going to talk to you about a mother this morning. A mother who's going to show us about family. 2 Samuel chapter 21, begin reading in the 10th verse. I'll read through the 14th verse. If you don't have your Bible, it's on the screens for you. The Bible says this, now... Rispa, everybody say Rispa. That's the mother we're going to talk about this morning. Rispa, the daughter of Ai, took sackcloth and spread it for herself on the rock. From the beginning of harvest until the late rains poured on them from heaven, 
And she did not allow the birds of the air to rest on them by day, nor the beasts of the field by night. Verse 11. And David was told what Rizpah, the daughter of Ai, the concubine of Saul, had done. Then David went and he took the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan, his son, from the men of Jabesh-Gilead, and stole them from the street of Bethshan, where the Philistines had hung them up after the Philistines had struck down Saul in Gilboa. Verse 13. So David brought up the bones of Saul and the bones of Jonathan, his son, from there. And they gathered the bones of those who had been hanged. They buried the bones of Saul and Jonathan, his son, in the country of Benjamin and Zelah in the tomb of Kish, his father. For they performed all that the king commanded. And after that, God heeded the prayer of the land. There's a lady in that scripture, a mother named Rispa. I want to talk to you today about her, and I want to entitle this first sermon in this series, Family Matters, Fight for the Family. Could we pray one more time, and I'll let you be seated. Father, I thank you for the word. God, I sense a unique presence of the Holy Spirit in here today. God, I really do, and I'm not just saying that. God, I've stood behind this desk for almost 20 years and preached. And God, I sense the presence of your Holy Spirit today. I want you to give us revelation knowledge and quicken our hearts and quicken our minds today. God, help us understand the Word of God. Thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, the church said amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Pastor Tony, thank you. This is not a newfound revelation to anybody in this building this morning. Our families are under attack. Presently, the enemy is waging a very intense war against our families. And if there has ever been a time that we need to fight for our families, now is that time. Because if we don't take a stand and fight for our family, they won't be able to stand in the day of trial and testing that is coming. The traditional family is being challenged today unlike any time before. This is not a political message. I am not a political preacher. I don't preach politics, but I'm going to give you some facts this morning Recently, our president became the first sitting president to recognize marriage as a union between two people of the same sex. That's not a political jab. That's a fact. And I'd say it if it was Democrat, Republican, Independent, Tea Party, whatever. It's the truth. And there are 48% of born-again Christians in this country that believe that homosexuality should just be accepted by society. The family is under attack. We hear a lot of talk about traditional family values and family values and the basic concept of the family dates all the way back to the days of creation when God formed one man and he formed one woman. 
And his desire and design was that they would live together with their offspring in harmonious unity. Love for one another and love for the neighbor, for their neighbor. But the traditional family is under attack. You know, we hear a lot about the divorce rate in this country. And I've heard preachers preach, and even I have, have preached it before, that the divorce rate in this country is 50%, and one out of every two marriages ends in divorce. And at one time, that was true. Some research I've done and some study I've done has proven that the divorce rate in this country is dropping drastically. And one study said that the divorce rate is probably more like 3.5%, not 50%. Now, before you get excited and get happy and say, praise the Lord, Pastor, the divorce rate is going down. Here's why the divorce rate's going down. Because marriages are going down. Boy, on Mother's Day, I'm going to probably make some people mad. I love you. It's going to be all right. Because couples no longer feel the need to be bound in a, by and in a covenant of marriage. Now, what you probably have yet to discover in the first 11 weeks of me being here, I, you may have already discovered, I have no problem preaching the truth. And I'm going to preach it in love, and it's going to drip with grace and mercy, but it's going to be the truth. So instead of couples walking to the altar and being bound in marriage and, and coming under the guidelines and the boundaries of Scripture, we now have people that just that use the politically correct term, they cohabitate. But essentially means they live in sin. And they say that family households like that now, that couples being bound in marriage or matrimony, probably exceeds well over 36 million in this country. Former president and CEO of Chrysler, Lee Ioka said the only institution he knows that works and the only rock that he knows that will stay steady is the family. And one of the reasons that the family is not able to survive the attack that it's under, one of the reasons that the family is crumbling and breaking is because that family time is no longer a priority in families' lives. It's said that couples spend four times as much time watching TV as they do in meaningful conversation with one another. I read one statistic sometime back that said that parents spend four hours a day watching TV, an hour a day shopping, and six minutes a day in conversation with their children. I mean, it's no wonder that the family cannot survive the attack that it finds itself under. And since the very beginning of time, the family unit has been under attack. If you open up the very first pages of the book of Genesis, there's a couple named Adam and Eve had two boys named Cain and Abel. And Cain rises up in jealousy and hatred and he murders his own flesh and blood, Pastor Jeremy. If you keep traveling through the book of Genesis, there's two boys named Jacob and Esau. 
And you find a story that is full of betrayal and full of bitterness and full of deception. You keep following the family line through the book of Genesis and Jacob had two boys named Simeon and Levi whose sister named Dinah was raped and they retaliate in anger and they rise up and they murder a man for what he did to their sister. And I don't have time to talk to you about Joseph. Maligned and mistreated and betrayed and sold into slavery by his brothers. The bottom line is this. The family has been under attack and the family continues to be under attack. And if we don't stand up and fight for the family, nobody will. And I don't mean to be offensive with some of the stuff that I used as an introduction. If you find yourself in a place outside the covering of God's Word, understand there's grace and mercy and Jesus loves you and has a plan for your life. Don't, don't mistake what I said, but the truth is the truth. We cannot continue to live. Listen, I don't care what Washington legislates. I don't care what the Supreme Court says. If it contradicts Scripture, they don't hold the final say-so and the key to morality. Only the written living Word of God is our guideline and our boundary for how we are going to live. Because, oh God, I'm going to preach on Mother's Day because here's the truth. Heaven and earth are going to pass away, but the Word of the Lord is going to stand forever. Let God be true and every man a liar. I base my life on this book a long time ago. I don't care if it's politically correct, right or wrong, but on Christ the solid rock I stand. All the ground is sinking sand. I chose to live my life by this book and I'll live it by this book until Jesus returns. Now come on and praise the Lord today. I want to take you to this Old Testament story. Look, I just acted Pentecostal. How's that for you? And this lady by the name of Rispa, she's going to teach us how to fight for our family. Let me lay some background for you, and then we'll go in and get you get some meat of this message. Meat, get to the meat of this message. Rispa's story happens at a time when David is the king of Israel, and there has been this three-year famine in the land during David's. He can't figure it out. He doesn't know why it's happening. So David goes to God in prayer. The Bible said he inquires of the Lord as to why this famine has struck the land. And God says to David, it's because of Saul, your, 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 your predecessor, David, the guy that came before you. It's because of Saul and his bloodthirsty house. Because he murdered the Gibeonites. I don't have time to go back and and get into all of this story. But way back in the book of Joshua, long before David was on the throne, long before Saul was on the throne, the Israelites had made a treaty. Though they had been deceived into this treaty, Joshua chapter 9, verse 17, check it out sometime. They'd been deceived into this treaty by the Gibeonites to protect them, to watch over them, to not harm them, to never hurt them, never lay a finger on them. Saul broke that treaty. God is serious about covenants that we make. And Saul murdered. The Bible doesn't give us detail. Commentators, historians can't cannot figure out exactly what Saul did, but somehow in some way he rose up and he shed blood and murdered some of the Gibeonites. And it angered God. 
And something that Saul had done years ago, Israel is still suffering for that decision. Can I stop there long enough to tell you and preach to you and tell you today that decisions you make today affect more than just you. It affects people way down the road, and it affects the future of your family. Some of the best preaching I've done in 11 weeks. So David calls the Gibeonites, and he says to them, listen, somehow we've got to end this famine. We can't keep living like this. What do you want as retribution? What do you want as payment for this? The Gibeonites look at King David, and they said, listen, we don't want any silver or gold from Saul's house. We don't want any of the men of Israel, but we want you to give us seven of Saul's sons. We're going to execute them and hang them on a cross and leave them out there for everybody to see. Now, it's important you understand, Saul had seven sons, also had some daughters, but seven of those sons obviously didn't come from one woman. Multiple marriages and concubines were legal in the Old Testament. So David, according to the law, according to Numbers 35 and 33, he delivers up seven of Saul's sons to the Gibeonites. Because Numbers 35 and 33 in the law declared blood for blood. That the blood of the criminal or the blood of the criminal's family had to be spilled in order for the famine so David delivers these seven boys up, and more than likely they were executed first. And then they were impaled on a cross or fastened to a tree. And their dead bodies were left there hanging. And two of those seven boys belonged to this mother named Rispa. Now, law demanded and said that when they were executed and they were killed, that by sundown, their bodies had to be taken off of those crosses and they were to be given a proper burial. But the law had no power in this instance. Because those bodies had to remain there. And they had to stay there until the famine had ended. And there was tangible evidence and there was a tangible sign that the famine was over. And once they knew the famine was done, they knew that the wrath of God had subsided because of Saul breaking that covenant. Then those bodies could be taken off. And then they could be given a proper burial. Let's look at this mother named Rispa. And I want you to just go with me into this story, these few verses I read to you. I want you to see how she fought for her family, those two boys. First of all, <clears throat> Rispa was prayerful. The Bible says that she took sackcloth for herself and she spread it against the rock. She took sackcloth and she made this tent-like covering for herself. Now in Scripture, sackcloth represents three things. It represents mourning, it represents repentance, and it represents intercessory prayer. When a prophet would go to intercessory prayer, he would dress himself in sackcloth. He would take ashes and sprinkle them on top of his head, and he would go in and offer intercessory prayer. Rispa's sackcloth is symbolic to me of the power of intercessory prayer that we must use in order to fight for our family. Never underestimate the power of prayer when it comes 
to your family. Because there are some battles that have to be fought for our families. And the only place they can be fought is in the privacy of our prayer closet. They can't be fought on the telephone. They can't be fought on Facebook. They can't be fought through just conversation. But there's times when we are up against a struggle. We're facing a battle and our spouse needs somebody to fight for them and our kids need somebody to fight for them. One of the best things we can do is lock ourselves away in a place of prayer and go to God on behalf of our family. The Bible declares that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. The Bible declares that whatsoever things you desire when you pray. Not if you pray, but when you pray. Believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Ask and you shall receive, Jesus said. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. To everyone that asketh receiveth. To him that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it is opened unto him. The Psalmist said in Psalm 55 and 22, Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and he shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. And Peter would go on in 1 Peter 5 and 7 and say, Casting all your cares upon him because he careth for you. One of the greatest ways we can fight for our family is in the privacy of a prayer closet and go to God and intercede on their behalf and pray for them and cover them in prayer there is still power in our prayer today. Watch this. And she spread for herself sackcloth against what? Against the rock. The rock is symbolic of the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, he was the rock in the wilderness. He is the chief cornerstone of the church. He was the foundation that the wise man built his house upon. I'm telling you, you can take your intercession. You can take your prayer for your family. You can cast it upon the Lord Jesus Christ and you can know that he will hear your prayer. He will consider your prayer and I still believe we serve a prayer answering God. Take Take your burdens to the Lord and leave them there. If we're going to fight for our family, let's not do it through social media. Let's not do it on the telephone. But one more time, let us bow our knee. Let us bow our heart and call out to God and pray for our families. Come on and praise the Lord today. Can I, can I get comfortable just for a minute? prayerful. She was persistent. If you're going to fight, you can't give up. You can't quit. Because I'm telling you, the more you pray, the harder the enemy's going to fight. And the more you fight, the harder the devil's going to fight. The Bible said that she spread for herself sackcloth against the rock. From the beginning of harvest, watch this, until the late rains poured on them, on the bodies of her two boys. Do you realize that the period from harvest until late rains is six months? And it is quite possible. And it is more than likely, historians and commentators tell us, that for six months, 
She lived out in that field under the covering of that sackcloth and she fought not for the lives of her two boys, but she fought for the body of her two sons. The Bible said that she would not let the birds of the air by day rest on them. Those birds that came, those vultures that came to pluck away and to eat away at the decaying, stinking carcasses of her son. She would not allow the beast of the field by night that came under the covering in the shade, shadows of darkness that nobody could see them and would have loved to have climbed up on those trees and ripped the carcass of those two boys off and had a feast. But the Bible says for, for, from the beginning of harvest until the late rains came, and those late rains didn't come for six months was more than likely a sign that the famine had ended. Bodies could not be taken down until there was tangible evidence that the famine had ended. So what did she do, Pastor? She, I believe she beat away the birds of the air that came by day. Watch this. Look at the symbolism. The birds of the air represent to me the efforts of Satan. Because the Bible says that he is the prince and the power of the air. And there is a, he said, Pastor, you're reaching, you're grasping. Well, I'm preaching it, so I'm going to reach and grasp. There is a major attack that is coming against our young people through the airwaves today. Through the airwaves of television. Through the airwaves of radio through the airwaves of media called internet. Do you realize there are 280 million pornographic websites out there today? Here we go. You better buckle up this morning. This is not a sermon for the faint of heart. The average age of consumers of pornography are young men ages 12 to 17. Do you know... That the, the, the age that, that kids are exposed to pornography, pornography for, the, for the very first time is 11 years old. Pastor, that, not, not, not in our church, not, not with our kids. Do not fool yourself. Do not deceive yourself. If the enemy is after anybody, it's after kids that have been raised in a good, solid Christian home that have some morals and some values whose mothers and fathers have poured into them and have taught them the principles of Scripture. Now, Pastor, we just, we just don't believe that that kind of stuff is going on in the church world today. Let me help you break that ostrich spirit. Get your head out of the sand and get a clue. It is a real war that we are involved in. And our kids, my kids and your kids and kids outside of these four walls have a bullseye on their back. The devil wants to kill them and drag them off to hell. But I want to tell you that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. I want to declare today to the kingdom of darkness that there is no weapon formed against us that shall prosper. We're going to fight until the death 
if we have to. We're going to roll our sleeves up. We're going to push aside a plate. We're going to bow on our face before God. And we're going to fight for our families. If we don't, nobody will. Is this all right today? Watch this. He wanted to beat away. I need my coat, Pastor Tony. I'm going to have to use it for a minute. I don't need to put it back on. I just need it. Thank you. The birds of the air that came by day and the beasts of the field that came by night. Watch this. The beasts of the field. You ready? Since you think I'm reached, I'm going to keep reaching. Represent the power of drugs and alcohol. Every drug and drink originate from the field. Whatever is smoked, whatever is snorted, whatever is ingested, whatever is drank, where do you think it comes from? It comes from a plant or a vine. Doesn't it? So you got to peel layers back sometimes. There's something there. Listen, 11 million young people between the ages of 12 and 20 We'll try alcohol at some point. I didn't say 1,100. I didn't say 11,000. I said 11 million. And 75% of young people have admitted to trying drugs, some type of drug or alcohol, before they turn the age of 18 years old. I'm telling you, if we are not persistent, in our fight for our family, we're going to lose our families. If we are not intentional about this generation, we're going to lose a generation. And why do you think that we have a youth pastor and his wife on staff? Why do you think that we've got a children's pastor and his wife and his team back here today while we're in here investing in our children? Why do you think that for the first time in the history of this church, we're going to create ministry budgets so that these people can do ministry for our children and do ministry for our students and do ministry for our young people? Why do you think that he makes the sacrifice to rent vans and raise money and get a bunch of kids to Winterfest? Why do you think that we're going to promote youth camp? And if we have to, we'll fund some kids to get to youth camp and spend the most powerful week of their lives on on those grounds in Roanoke, Virginia and eat terrible cafeteria food and sleep in hard beds where it's hot because I'm telling you we've got a generation that if we don't fight for them nobody else will but I'm absolutely God I feel the Holy Ghost on Mother's Day I'm absolutely positively convinced that this is the generation that will usher in the return of the Lord I absolutely believe there is a revival that is coming through our children and it's coming through our young people and here's why because we are going to be persistent in fighting for our family. I'll tell you what, what Rispa did. She took the power of prayer and she beat away the birds of the air and she beat away the beasts of the field. We've got to get back to prayer and get serious about fighting and beat away the devil and beat away the enemy that comes to destroy our family. I've made up my mind in my house that is for me in my house. We will serve the Lord. We will fight hell because Jesus is going to bring Revival to the family. Come on and praise him this morning. Somebody praise him if you think the family is worth fighting for. If you think the family is worth fighting for, come on and 
praise him today. Stand up if you're not already standing up. Raise up your hands and welcome the Holy Ghost in here today. I will revive the family, says the Spirit of God. I will build the family, says the Spirit of God. I will breathe again on the family, says the Spirit of God. I need you to fight for your family. I need you to fight for lost sons and daughters. I need you to fight for your husband. I need you to fight for your wife. If you'll fight, if you'll do, do your part, I'll do my part, says the Spirit of God. Places you need to go, things you need to do, and people you need to see. And if at any point you have to excuse yourself, I have no problem with that. But I'm going to give the Holy Spirit time to do what he wants to do today. Watch this last one. She was prayerful. She was persistent. She was proactive. She didn't just stand out there in the field and look at the birds there and the beasts of the field and say, well, go ahead, just take them. She didn't do that, did she? No. Six months. I believe not only did that sackcloth become a covering, but I believe she used it to keep the birds and the beasts at bay. That's what prayer will do. It'll beat away the enemy that comes. See, it's hard to be proactive when your priorities are out of order. You can't be proactive for your family when everything else takes precedent. Well, I love my family, Pastor. Yeah, and then it's spelled T-I-M-E. Time. It's hard to be proactive when your perspective is misplaced and you're focused on everything else but your family. You only got one shot at this. It's hard to be proactive when you're self-absorbed and all you care about is yourself. You can't wait till the storm comes to start fighting. You can't wait till all hell breaks loose to start fighting. You know what Job did in Job 1 5? Remember his children went before this before the storm came and they all died? You know what? His, his kids would have these big feasts and these parties. And when they were done, you know what Job would do the first thing that morning, the next morning? He'd bring them all to his house. He'd offer burnt offerings and sacrifices on their behalf, and he'd pray over them because he said in his heart, just in case they've sinned and done something, I want to make sure that I'm covering my family. You know what happened when King David heard what Rispa had done? He acted on her behalf. Watch this. I just, listen, I saw this today. It was revelation to me. 
Not only did he act on her behalf and take the bodies of her two boys down, but he went and got those two boys' daddy, Saul, and their half-brother, Jonathan. And he united the whole. He buried Saul and Jonathan, who had been killed a long time ago. Their bones had been stolen by the men from Jabesh Gilead. And then he goes and gets the bodies of Rispa's two boys, and he buries all four of them together. King acted on her behalf as she fought. I'm telling you, the king will act on your behalf if you'll start fighting for your family. Listen, he acted on her behalf and buried dead bodies. But I'm telling you, the king will act on your behalf and he'll unify. He'll unify a family that still has life and breath in it and he'll bring revival to it. Can't wait until all hell breaks loose. Gotta fight now. Gotta fight now. Listen, Rispa did what she could. She didn't do everything she wanted. Do you know what she wanted to do? She wanted to climb up there and take those bodies down. She didn't have, she couldn't. Listen, you can't always do everything you want to do for your family, but there's some things you can do, and you can fight for them. I want everyone to stand with me, please. If you're not already, if you can, I'm closing. You got to be proactive. Don't wait. Don't wait till your kids are so far down the road it's too late to try to reel them back in. I'm getting ready to say something right here. If you've got kids that still live at home, you're in charge of that household. my chest this morning. I might regret it later, but right now I'm anointed. I don't even care. They don't make the rules. You do. <laughs> Pastor, you must have a perfect home. Ha ha. We came to church grumping a little bit this morning because people... Because I've got some children, I won't tell you who they are, which one or both, that won't get out of bed on Sunday mornings. Because I let them stay up too late. Guess whose fault that is? It's mine. Guess what? Don't call past 10 o'clock next Saturday because they won't be available. You think, did they like that conversation on the way to church this morning? No. I get tired of, I'm being real right here now. I get tired of running behind all the time. I'm always in the car waiting, blowing the horn. I'm not doing that anymore. You know why? I'm going to pull this card out because Daddy said so. You make the rules. Don't you be intimidated by your kids. Well, I don't want to make little Johnny or Sally upset. Little Johnny or Sally will get over it. Oh, God help me. I feel anointed. I got to say this. God didn't call you to be their friend. He called you to be their mother and their father, not their friend. It's who cares if they like you? Do you want them to? Sure. Me and my kids, get we do all kinds of stuff together. But there's times they understand I'm not your friend, I'm your father. And you're not too old if I have to 
I can still whip your backside if necessary. I usually don't because other things work, but I still can if I need to. And I'm not, oh, Pastor, you're a hardcore dictator. It's your way. You're a tyrant. No, we've set some guidelines and boundaries, and next week I'm going to preach on something called rules to live by. It's different for folks in different families. But there's some rules right here you can't get away from and you can't bend on them. And you know what? I've had my kids say, well, not here yet, but at Rocky Mount, well, well, so-and-so's parents let them do it. I said, good, I'm not so-and-so's parents. I'm your parent. And these are the rules we live by and the boundaries we live by in our house. Well, I don't think it's fair. I'm sorry. I love you. It's going to be all right. Because let me tell you, as long as they're under your roof, you're accountable for them. Now, when they leave your house and wherever they go at that point, they're going to have to make their own way. But you are going to stand before God and give an account for how you raised your kids. Stop being intimidated by your children. You don't have to rule with an iron fist. You can rule with love. It's, listen, there's a powerful two-letter word some of our kids need to hear more often. You're ready? No. And when they say why, here's a good way to answer it. They don't like it. I don't use it a lot. Because I said so is why. And because the word of God says so. And the conversation is done. You better be glad I'm not your youth pastor. I did six years. I didn't care if they ever liked me. Tell you one more story. I'm going to let you go home. We're going to come to the altar. I, when I did youth ministry, I'm not going to tell you how to do your job. I'd stand up the first Wednesday night. First, I did two different tours of duty at different churches. And I said, up, and here's what I said. I mean, I was young and brash. I'd still do it today. Let me just help you understand something. That's what I say to them. I'm the quarterback. I'm the coach. You do what I say. And I said, here's the deal. I don't care if you like me, and I don't want to be your friend. My goal is to keep you from dying and going to hell. Any questions? And then I'd say, I want to be your friend. I want to hang out with you, and I want to be a part of your life. But my goal was not for you to say, oh, my youth pastor is the coolest youth pastor. I don't, care. I don't need cool points. I need to get you spiritually sound and where you need to be with God. I don't need cool points. I don't need them now. I don't care if you like me. I'll do everything I can to invest in your life and make sure that you find God the way you need to find God. Bow your heads just for a moment. I know they're thinking, gosh, Pastor, you're brash and arrogant. I'm not being brash or arrogant. It's the truth. Father, today I need your help right here at this moment. God, there's people in here that are they already they've already been fighting for their families. God, there's people in here that are in the they're in a, they're in the fight of their life for lost children. They're in the fight of their life for a spouse that doesn't know Jesus. If we don't fight, God, nobody will. Your heads are bowed, your eyes are closed. You say, Pastor Gore, I'm here today. I've got to make this call first. Pastor Gore, I'm here today. And I don't know Christ. And this Jesus you're talking about, how much he loves the family, and how much he wants the family to succeed and do well. And this Jesus that you're, you're preaching about, Pastor, I need Jesus in my heart. I don't know him. Would you pray for me? If you're here, just slip up your hand and put it down. Pastor, I want to meet Christ today. Pray for me. Anybody? Anybody, Pastor, pray for me. I need Jesus. Pastor, I'm here today. And I've got some things going on in my family. I could sure use your prayers today, Pastor. Would you pray for my family? Would you just put up your hand and put it down? Just put it up. Put it up. Put it up. Actually, put it up and hold it up. Put it up and hold it up. Pastor, I've got some things in my family. With those hands still up, Pastor, I've got some children today. I've got some children today, Pastor, that 
something I've got to fight for. I know, I know that I'm up against it, but I, I need your prayers today, Pastor, for my children. If your hand's not already up, would you slip it up? Would you slip it up? Come on. I got grandkids today, Pastor. Slip it up. I've got nieces and nephews, Pastor. Pastor, I got a spouse today that needs the touch of God on his or her life. Raise up your hand. Raise up your hand and hold it up. Pastor, I'm here today. I got lost loved ones in my family. I don't want them to die and go to hell. Raise up your hand if that's you. Come on. Come on. There's every hand in this building should probably be going up. Now look at me. Look at your pastor right here. Let me tell you my assignment. The Lord's been helping me clarify my assignment. We're 11 weeks into this thing. The Lord's been helping me clarify my assignment. There's a lot that needs to be done. There's a lot that I want to do. I even talk, told my wife this. The Holy Spirit touched my heart this morning during my prayer time. And he said, I need you to be a Psalm 23 pastor to these people right now. I need you to lead them beside still waters. I need you to take them and let them lie down in green pastures. I need you to prepare a table before them on Sunday so they can eat from that table and eat from the word of God. I need you to help them walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I need you to help them. I need you to comfort them with your rod and your staff. But guess what? My, my priority and my assignment at this season right now, where you are, where I'm at, where this church is, I'm to be a Psalm 23 pastor. And part of a Psalm 23 pastor is helping you fight for your family and stave off the wild beasts that are coming to destroy your family. Here's how we're going to do that. We're going to pray together this morning in unison. Are you ready? You ready? We're going to come and pray together. Are you ready? I want you to come wherever you are today. If you're ready to fight for your family, just come. Just come all over this auditorium. And I'll let, as soon as we pray, I'm going to let you go home and go to your where you need to go with your moms. Come on. Pastor, tell me, go ahead and sing. Just come. Come step in. And